If you have your Bibles, we want to jump right back to where we were last week. Pastor Patton did a great job. Uh, you have Luke open, and the Gospel of Luke will be in chapter 8. And if you'll turn there, uh, that's where we'll be today. I got to travel back through East Tennessee on our way home from our vacation last week. And any of you know uh, who know me very well know that I've lived in Nashville longer than any place that I've ever lived. Uh, I've had two different stints here. This is my second one. And uh, I guess all told, uh, I've probably been here close to 20, 23 years, something like that. Um, but the formative years of my life were spent in East Tennessee. And I'm an East Tennessean, I'm sorry. You know, you just can't get it out of you after a while. And as we drove by, uh, we drove by a place that maybe you're familiar with. It's the oldest town or, or city, what, it's not really a city in Tennessee. It's called Jonesboro uh, up in East Tennessee. And Jonesboro every year holds a festival, an international festival. Do you know what it's for? Storytelling. So you can go and, and spend a weekend in Jonesboro listening to the storytellers that convene there. And they have categories of storytellers that come, all, all kinds of storytellers from, from ghost stories to, to tales of Appalachia. And it's all about the oral story given. And today we're beginning to look at the greatest storyteller that ever lived and some of the stories that he began to tell, and they're called parables. So they're not like a, a fable. They're not like a, the ghost stories that, that you would hear if you were in Jonesboro or stories about Appalachia. These stories were meant to teach the believers that were following Jesus something very important. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to read Luke chapter eight, and uh, we're gonna kind of look at it in three sections. You know, Jesus explains uh, a parable, he gives it to them, he tells the disciples why he's speaking in parables, and then he gives the reason for the parable, the explanation, I guess I should say, for the parable. So what's going to happen as we read this is we're actually going to bounce around from what Jesus says in the parable to his explanation, then back to the parable, back to the explanation. So keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 8. If you don't have one, it'll be on the screen. Uh, and I, I, fa I failed to say this uh, a couple weeks in a row now. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to have a Bible, and we have them at the Next Steps desk. We'll be happy to give you one. Uh, no charge. We just want you to have a Bible. We think it's important. So let's read in verse 4 of Luke chapter 8. As a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to see Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. So other fell on the good ground, and when it came up or grew up, it produced fruit, a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Then his disciples asked him, well, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables, so that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are like those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among the thorns, 
These are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with the worries, riches, and pleasures of life, produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. Now, we know that Jesus often spoke in parables. If you read the Gospels, you see them. He, he begins to do this more and more. In the first seven chapters, we haven't really seen him speaking in parables. Uh, he's been teaching. We saw the Sermon on the Mount that he taught to the crowds, and, and we've seen some of the crowds start to follow him, but now he begins to speak in parables, and we actually get the answer. Did you notice why he did it? He said it in verse nine. Let's just read that again. The disciples asked him, what does the parable mean? And he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God are given for you to know, but to the rest it's in parables, so that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not, have, uh, they may not understand. Now, you may have noticed that when we read it the first time, and, and maybe you struggle to understand exactly what it means. I mean, would Jesus really be pleased with teaching people and happy that a bunch of them didn't understand? Is that the point? Hey, there's just a select few that we want to understand and everybody else, we wanna exclude them. And that's not exactly what he's saying. Jesus is actually now beginning to focus on the disciples and he's moving away from the crowd. Now, Jesus could draw a crowd anywhere that he went. You may remember that there was the time that Jesus performed the miracle. He fed the 5,000. Do you remember that? And, and it said afterwards that, that the crowd followed him around and he asked him, he said, you guys just come so that you get the free food. You're not really here to hear what I have to say. You want the miracles. You want to see the healings. It's like you want to see the spectacle. But now he's beginning to focus in on the believers. And as he does... He's telling the disciples, I'm speaking to you in a parable so that something happens. You get a deeper meaning of what's going on because I want you to understand something about the kingdom. Now, for all of us who are in Christ this morning, all of us who have been saved, this parable speaks very clearly about the kingdom. And this is why Jesus says to those on the outside, the parables don't make sense. It's like they're looking, but they don't perceive. They hear, but they don't understand. Because only, only the Holy Spirit can reveal these things to us. I mean, it's, it, it's one of those things. If, if you're not a believer, you can read the Bible and it just doesn't make sense, does it? It just sounds, if you remember reading it before you were saved, it just doesn't make sense. But when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, it says that the Spirit guides us into all truth. So it begins to reveal, he begins to reveal these things to us. And, and so this is important. And I want you to see something about this. Did you notice that the disciples, when they heard the parable, went to Jesus and said, we wanna know what it means, and the crowd didn't. See, a, a believer wants to lean in. A believer wants a little bit more. A believer wants to understand what's going on. And so they asked Jesus, the crowd didn't do that. So when we get to the parable of the sower, Jesus is giving his disciples an incredible insight into what's going to happen in the kingdom as the kingdom is established. Here's what I mean by that. Do you remember that before Jesus went to heaven, after he had been crucified and buried and raised from the dead, he called everybody together and said, now look, all authority has been given to me and you have a task to complete. Go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
That's the mission. But what Jesus is telling us here is that there's going to be four different responses when we share the gospel. And so for us this morning, this should really help us to understand our evangelistic efforts, our, our efforts to share the gospel with people, our efforts to engage people with the gospel. But if you're not uh, sure if you're saved this morning, my prayer is that as we go through these pass- this passage of scripture, that what's going to happen is that the Holy Spirit is going to let you know which soil are you? Are you saved? Are you of the good soil? Or not? Because as long as you're breathing, as long as you're living, there's always time for you to become the good soil and receive the word of God. And that's the great news for us today. This passage will help us understand the nature of our own hearts and where we stand with the Lord. So if you are with me so far, let's go through these soils and kind of uh, uh, make sure that we're, we're understanding. And, and I am saying the word S-O-I-L. See, I can't even say it, S-O-I-L. When I dictated this sermon, uh, Siri wanted it to say sorrel, like a horse that's a sorrel. It's soil. I know I'm from East Tennessee. You know, I get it. So uh, it, it's, it's an amazing thing that Jesus teaches us this parable. Because every Sunday in our church, I present the gospel. I do my best to do it. We do it in our Sunday school classes. We do it in everything that we do. And I wish that every Sunday we would have a response that would be of the good soil, that people would come and receive him. Well, why don't they? Well, this parable tells us. The seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The soil represents the human hearts that hear the gospel. And Jesus told the disciples there are four responses. Let's look at these four. The first that Jesus describes is the human heart that is hard to the gospel. Look at verse five. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. The picture given is of an ancient path that is well-worn. And you see these kind of hardened paths if you ever go on any established hiking trails. Maybe perhaps you've been over into the Warner Park system that Nashville has. If you ever go and hike in Percy Warner or Edwin Warner Park, I mean, thousands upon thousands of people go through those trails year after year after year, and, and the soil becomes so compact that even when it rains, it may be muddy off the trail, but most, I mean, it would take a lot for that trail to become really, really muddy. I mean, the water just runs off of it. It's so firm, and what happens? Now, imagine if you were going to take grass seed and throw it out on that trail. You decided you're gonna close the trail, and we're just gonna throw some grass seed on there. It's not going to take root. It it doesn't work. Why? Because it's so compact, it's so hardened that the seed has no way to penetrate, to get into the ground, to then receive the water so that the sunlight comes and it germinates and it begins to to grow. So what do you have to do? Well, you would have to take a a machine like a tiller or you would have, have to take a plow or you would have to take a hoe and you'd begin turning over that soil trying to get it from the hard soil to the fresh soil. And as you turned it over, then you would be able to plant that seed. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. And I want you to notice in verse 12 now how he describes this person. He says, the seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. 
Now, all right, we need to get something out of the way. You don't believe in the devil, do you, preacher? I believe he doesn't want you to believe in him. Because if you don't believe in him, he gets to go around and do whatever he wants to. I think even better, the, the devil likes it when you believe he's like from an old Tom and Jerry cartoon. You know, if, if Jerry or, or Tom are, are having a, a decision to make, there's an angel on one side and there's a devil on the other side and, and the devil is kind of cute and he, he has little pointy ears and a little pointy tail and a pitchfork and he kind of nudges you along. I believe that the scripture talks about our enemy as Satan, as the devil, and says that he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy. So yes, I believe in a literal devil because Jesus tells us this right here. He says that the devil comes to take away the word. Well, how does that happen? I think there are three ways that we can observe in people's lives around us how we see this. And they all start with D, delay, distraction, deception. Delay, distraction, deception. If you've ever noticed, maybe, maybe you've seen it because I can't tell you how many times I've seen it over the course of my life, sharing the gospel with people and people say this, I'm just not ready yet. I'm just not ready yet. I know that I need to, I believe in Jesus. I'm just not ready yet. I, I don't want to do it today. I don't want to do it right now. I, I want to do it later. And this might mean that they want to make a delay in their decision in following Christ for a number of reasons. Sometimes they're just not ready to stop living the way that they've been living. I'm happy. I don't want to submit my life to Christ. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to give this up. I might be in a, a sinful relationship and, and I don't want to give that up. I might be practicing sin and I don't want to have to give that up. I might be stealing. I don't want to have to give that up. I'm not ready yet. Sometimes they count the cost and decide it's too great. Jesus told, tells us to count the cost and sometimes people believe, I, I'm not ready now, I, I still wanna live like the country song says. Have you ever heard this? Everybody wanna go to heaven, but nobody wanna go right now, you know? We wanna live like we wanna live, but everybody wants to go to heaven. I'll do it later. You know, that's a, a fundamental human flaw is that we believe that later always exists for us. You know that you're not guaranteed the rest of the day. You're certainly not guaranteed tomorrow. To presume upon the Lord and, and say, I'll do it later. Well, we do it all the time. I'll mend my relationships with the people that are broken later. I'll get around to it. I'll, I'll do this later. I'll start taking financial steps to freedom later. I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure that out. I'm gonna start that tomorrow. But delay is one of Satan's greatest tools to make you believe that you have all the time in the world and that when you're older or at some point in the future, you'll have a chance. But we're not guaranteed tomorrow. None of us know how long we have. A person who's delaying their decision thinks incorrectly they're moving towards Christ and they don't realize that they've made a decision already. To delay means that you have rejected. It's not like we live in an in-between. I don't want you to be confused about that. There is no in-between. We're either of the faith or we're not. And if Christ comes back saying, I was moving towards it, I was, I was going to, I thought about it, I knew I should have, it's too late. We don't have time. The second way the enemy comes and 
steals the gospel is through distraction. And one of the best tactics in a battle is distraction, right? You, you create a distraction or a diversion over here and then you go after what's really important. So you create something secondary over here and you distract everybody with it. And while they're looking at it, you go and achieve the objective. And Satan is so clever and he uses distraction to take away people's attention every day and things that really matter. It can be elaborate or it can be simple. Can I give you one of the simplest things? And, and we do it unknowingly in this building every Sunday. We're part of the distraction. We come in late, we get up, we walk around, we drink coffee, we hang out in here, we don't turn our cell phones off, and we don't realize that in that moment that God might be speaking to someone, distraction. Distraction. Distraction's a powerful tool of the enemy and something for us to take seriously, to understand that our minds can be very focused in and then all of a sudden distracted. I've seen it as I've been sharing the gospel with people and, and, and we're at that moment of decision in their lives and the phone rings. They have to go do something. They can't put it down. Distraction. Simple, elaborate, doesn't matter. It's easy for us. The final way is deception. Look at around at all the false religions of the world and, and how many people follow them and Satan takes what is given to us by God and he twists it. There's a God-given hole in your heart that, that knows that it needs a savior and yet all around the world, people are, are creating religions and following idols and, and worshiping things that they've made with human hands. And it's so easy to follow a God you make and you create because you're deceived. There's one true God. He's revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And people are busy worshiping these gods and they don't realize they're deceived. But the good news for the hardened heart today is that it's not too late. If you're listening this morning, it's not too late. That's the best news about the hardened heart is that the Holy Spirit can be the plow, can be the hoe that, that turns over the ground, can, can be the tiller that turns over the ground in your life and makes your life ready to receive the gospel. And if you've rejected the gospel, if you've been distracted, if you've delayed, if you've been deceived, today is the day of salvation. Give your life to Christ. The second soil is the rocky soil. Look at verse six. Other seed fell on the rock and when it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. This seed appears to take root and do fine, but it doesn't make it to maturity. It starts well, but it never had what it needed. Did you notice it needed the moisture? And it said it was missing that. And Jesus gives the explanation in verse 13. Let's look at it. And the seed on the rock are like those who when they hear, receive the word with joy. Having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. Some have called this the shallow heart or the disappointed heart. And, and this type of soil, I think, along with the next one that we're going to look at, the overgrown soil, it is sometimes confused with people who were saved and lost their salvation. But that's not exactly what he's talking about here. Because we see in the scripture, there's some confusion about this. People think, well, can I lose my salvation? 
But the book of 1 John tells us that they went out from us because they were not among us. They were not of the faith. They'd never been saved. Once Christ saves you, we often think, I can lose my salvation. But if Jesus has saved you, he is holding tighter to you than you are to him. Can't lose what he's given. You didn't do the work. You didn't save yourself. Christ saved you. So what is this then? Well, if it's the shallow or disappointed heart, these are people that are glad to hear the gospel and they respond even with gladness or joy. They may make a profession of faith, but there's no depth beyond the surface. Regeneration has never taken place because true repentance never came to their lives. Paul addressed this issue in his letter to the Colossian church where he told them to be rooted in Christ. Let's listen to what he said in Colossians 2. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Well, his point is well taken because he's telling the church, it's not just enough to make a profession of faith in Christ, you need to be rooted in Christ, just like when Jesus told the story of the two foundations. What are you building your life on? Is it on the rock, the teachings of the word of God, or are you building it on the shifting sands that when the storms come, will topple the house? See, the, the, the thing of it is, storms come to everybody. They're gonna come whether you're a believer or not. And if nobody's ever told you that, I'm really sorry because they sold you short about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Sometimes people tell, tell folks, when I came to Christ, all my problems went away. Y'all got any problems? You better say amen. That was very half-hearted. We got some problems, don't we? Is what happens. But now we have the firm foundation of Jesus Christ so that when the problems come, we're not knocked down. We, we have something that we're, we're rooted and established in, and, and this is very important. The person who's not rooted deeply, when the time of testing comes, they just fall away. The church disappointed me. What did the church have to do with it? You were saved by Christ, not the church. You're not saved into Judson Baptist Church, folks. If you thought you were, I'm sorry. You're not saved into our church. You're saved into Christ. The, the church doesn't save you. Christ saved you. We didn't do anything. We, we didn't die for your sins. Christ died for your sins. So, so we're gonna be disappointed by the church. If you've been disappointed by the church, join the club. I have too. We've all been disappointed because guess what? The church is full of people. People disappoint us. There's no such thing as a perfect church. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once had a, a young couple tell him they were leaving his church because they had found the perfect church. And he responded by telling them, don't go, you'll ruin it, you know? <laughs> right? There's no such thing. It doesn't exist. We're all imperfect people. So if the disappointment happens and I fall away or, or sometimes people come to, to the Lord for the wrong motive, I, it's, it's like foxhole Christianity. You talk to military chaplains. In battle, everybody knows the Lord. As soon as they make it through, we go back to living how we were. See, under the time of, of pressure, we make promises and, and we pray to God, and, but there's no rootedness there. We're not established in Christ. We're established maybe in what we want Christ to do. So God doesn't answer our prayer and, and I walked away from the church. I prayed one time for God to do something. He didn't do what I wanted, so I walked away. You didn't know Christ. I had a really hard time one time 
God didn't do what I thought he should do. I walked away. You didn't know Christ. Jesus said to his believers that in this world there would be trouble. The time of testing would, would come. But Jesus said something about that. He said, fear not, I've overcome the world. I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. So when we think about this soil, it's really important that, that we understand that, that, that God is calling us into salvation, not just uh, for a temporary thing or not just to get us out of trouble or not just to answer one prayer, but when the pressure turns up, it reveals who we are. Salvation comes when your heart changes. Not when you change your friends or start coming to church or, or you make God some promise you never meant on keeping. Salvation comes when you recognize that you're a sinner and that Christ died for you and that he demands your life in exchange for his. So maybe today you're here and there's no depth to the relationship that you have with God. But there can be. There, there can be because if you allow your life to be rooted in Christ today, you may be saved. I shouldn't say it like that because that, that makes it sound like I'm saying it, it's a possibility you could be saved. The scripture says you will be saved. You will be. The third soil is the overgrown soil that chokes out the seed. Look at verse seven. Other seed fell among thorns. Thorns grew up with it and choked it. Of all the soils that we've looked at so far, I don't think any of them describe our context better than this one. This one absolutely describes our context in the American church. Verse 14, the explanation gives some insight. The seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who when they heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life. They produce no mature fruit. Just like the rocky soil, this person received the word, but it never made it to maturity, and Jesus gives three reasons. And they're three reasons that are prevalent across our culture specifically, aren't they? Worries, riches, and pleasure. Worries, riches, and pleasure. Those things dominate everything in our culture. We're worried about everything and we think that money's the answer to all of it. And if we could just get away for another vacation, if we could just have a little more fun, we wouldn't be as worried. And if we had more money, we could do that. I mean, it, it's a cycle, isn't it? That takes place, but it's a lie. We worry about things. We're so worried that we miss the opportunity for salvation. Worried about things that we feel like are of, in, of, of first importance, but they're not. So we're, we're worried about the next thing we have to do at work or the next thing we have to do at our house or our school coming up and, and we just worry about these things and, and, and we keep those things going all the time in our mind and miss the eternal importance of what really matters and that's a relationship with Christ. So we never are able to, to raise our eyes above the waterline, so to speak, and lift them to see Jesus. Jesus says that wealth takes people away. Do you know one of the most dangerous persons, or, or the person I should say who is in most danger spiritually in the world, is a person who has all that they need and then some. And you say, well, what do you mean? 
You often tell us, pastor, that you hope we have all that we need and then some, and I do. I think that's a biblical model, but without Jesus, it gets skewed. You realize, of course, that money is not evil. It's, it's, it's not moral, it's not immoral. It's an object, it's a tool, it's a resource. But Jesus said that the love of money will ruin us. What happens to us when we have what we need and then some? Well, money's this tool that's supposed to be used and it's supposed to be a great servant for us. But for many, many of us in our lives, we know what it's like when money has become our master. We know what it's like that, that, that we got a little bit more and all of a sudden we weren't depending on the Lord quite as much. And, and thankfully, sometimes God in, in his grace will convict us of that and bring us back to a, a proper understanding of what it means to live as a steward of those things. But when we're not in Christ, money becomes an object that we pursue with a worshipful attitude. The effort to provide these great things for our children, for our family. We'll chase money and if we're not careful, we'll believe that money will take care of anything in our lives and we'll serve it. And it will literally choke out your relationship with the Lord. The last thing that he said was pleasure. It's easy to chase pleasure. It's so fun for a minute, isn't it? You know, I, I hope that this year you get to enjoy some of the things. I mean, that's biblical, isn't it? That the Lord says that we should enjoy the fruit of our labor and, and enjoy the time that we have with our family and friends. It's, it's wonderful that we get to do those things. But pleasure in our country is king. We chase it. Ecclesiastes says it's like chasing the wind. Have you ever tried? You can harness it for a minute with a sail or a turbine to maybe make energy or operate a well, but you can't chase it. You can feel it. It can push you. But chasing the wind is always like uh, it's right outside your grasp. It's close. If you give your life to pleasure, I'd encourage you today, go read the book of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon had the ability to have all the pleasure in the world. And at the end, he called it vanity. Nothingness. Emptiness. Eventually, this will choke out the good news of the gospel. And if you're convicted by that today, be warned and allow God to order your life in such a way that you understand what's primary in your life. Now, I want you to notice the final soil because I hope that that's where everyone in the room is today. And if not, I hope that today you will become the good soil, that your heart would be opened to the gospel. Verse eight says, still other seed fell on good ground and when it grew grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. The good soil receives the word and, and then it begins to produce the fruit. Verse 15 is the explanation. This seed in the good ground, they're the ones who having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. Now, there's a a key word there that we need to understand. It's this word enduring. Other translations describe it as patience, perseverance, steadfastness. This is the person 
who once they received the word, day by day began to submit their lives to the, to the Lord. You know, I often think about in Christianity, we, we, we read the stories of the Old Testament and we believe that when we're most powerful in our Christian walk is, is when we get to slay the giant or whatnot. And we don't realize that what's happening is that God is building us up to those moments. Those are few and far between. David didn't wake up and just go slay a giant. He had steadfastly endured walking with the Lord day after day after day after day after day and it built up to something. When you endure, it may not look like much on the outside, but you'll begin to see it. It's one of the reasons why as an adult and, and really just in the last, I guess it's been three years, 2020 is when we had our first renewal conference here and Bob Sorhe came and spoke and uh, Bob gave us a little book. Do you remember the little book? Reset. You know, it's a little orange book and it was 20 days to reset your walk with the Lord, if you remember that. And I, I'm, not, I'm not a diary guy, I'm, you know, no, dear diary. This is what I've been thinking about today. I'm nuts and I want everybody to read my inner thoughts. I don't want my children to read my inner thoughts later, you know? I want them to respect me when they're older. <laughs> I don't want them to realize what a tangled up mess I am, you know? Uh, but but I, I wanted to start writing a biblical journal of my time with the Lord. You do that over three years, four years, and you look back in those journals and you see prayers that God's answered. You see insights that you've received from the Lord as you've been reading the scripture. And you begin to realize that over three years, you've accomplished a lot. I don't know who said it, but somebody said a lot of times, we underestimate what we can accomplish in a year, but overestimate what we can accomplish in a week. You know, but I mean, there, there's, there's just a lot that can be done by daily being steadfast with the Lord. Your heart's received the gospel, it changed your life, and now you're bearing the fruit of righteousness. You're bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness, self-control, the Holy Spirit is winning in your life over the flesh and you're producing fruit. Well, that's who we wanna be. And I just wanna ask you about this because we've talked about the seed being scattered and it's the gospel, but can I tell you what the gospel is before we close? Because maybe today you're here and you've never heard the good news there's some good news, and as an acquaintance of mine uh, said, but to get to the good news, we need to start with the bad news. The bad news is, is that you're a sinner. You're separated from God. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not pointing you out. I'm saying look around the room. It's full of sinners who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us have sinned, separated. And that's bad news. But before we get to the good news, I gotta give you some worse news. The Bible's words, not mine. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. A lot of times we fear death. You're going to die, I'm going to die. It's a part of the curse of sin in our lives, but that's not the death that you were really meant to fear. It's spiritual death. Separation from God eternally in a place 
called hell, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, a fire that never goes out. You believe in hell, pastor? I do because Jesus did. He said it, not me. The Bible says that if we die in our sin, we're separated from God eternally and we won't be in heaven that he's created for us. We'll be in a place that he created for Satan and the demons. I had a a friend one time very glibly as I'd shared Christ say, I think I'd rather rule in hell with Satan than serve King Jesus. I don't think so. It's a deception. That's the worst news. Separated from God in eternity, but the good news is the best news. God who is loving and patient and kind looked on us and sent his son Jesus Christ to die in our place. When Jesus died on the cross, your name was written there with him. Jesus was dying for the sins of everyone who had lived before him and everyone who would come after him because he was the perfect son of God. The Bible says he's the lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To confess that Jesus is Lord means that you agree that he is God's son, the Lord of all creation, and that you'll submit your life to him. It's not just that you believe in Jesus. It's that you're ready for Jesus to be the Lord of your life. It's an exchange. Your life for his. But the Bible says that when we do that, God forgives us of all of our sins and our relationship with God is restored. It cancels out the bad news. It cancels out the worst news. Because the good news, that's what gospel means, is that Christ died for us. Have you ever given your life to Christ? Have you come to a point where you've realized that without Christ, you'll die and spend eternity separated from God? If you haven't, why not today? I'm gonna ask you to pray right now. And I want us all to just examine that we are of the faith. Could it be today that there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. I wanna tell you how to do it. I'm gonna ask you just to silently, right where you're at, pray a prayer with me. Now, listen, this prayer doesn't save us. The confession of Jesus as Lord and believing that God raised him from the dead saves us, but this is a great way for you to just start to learn how to pray. Why don't you just say this? If this is your heart's desire, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe what the pastor has said. And I know that I'm separated from God the Father. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you're the Son of God who died in my place. They buried you and you rose again on the third day. Save me today. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making a way, Lord Jesus. I give you my life and I take all of yours. In Jesus' name.
Amen.